and welcome to AJC Passport. Here at AJC, we work across the country and around the world as the diplomatic arm of the Jewish community. Each week on Passport, we use AJC's global network to help explain the news and what it means for you. I'm your host, Sefi Kogan. In 2014, President Barack Obama talked about a rising tide of anti-Semitism. He promised to fight back against that hatred of Jews all across the world. But that surge has continued. In the last two years, we've seen rising anti-Semitism around the world and right here in the U.S., on college campuses and on the alt-right. This week, we sit down with Ira Foreman. For four years under President Obama, Ira was the special envoy to monitor and combat anti-Semitism in the U.S. State Department. Over his 40-year career, Ira has worked all over the Jewish community. He's served in multiple high-level government roles, and he knows a ton about the history of Jews in America. Ira, welcome to AJC Passport. My pleasure to be here, Sefi. Let's talk about anti-Semitism awareness. It seems like every year, when the FBI releases their stats on religiously motivated hate crimes here in the U.S., Jews always top the list of victims. And Jews are also targeted, we know, at high rates abroad. But when we talk about hate crimes against a particular religious group, we usually end up talking about Islamophobia. Why is that? Is anti-Semitism flying under the radar somehow? Well, that's a great question. You know, when I think about this issue uh, this year uh, and last year and maybe last year and a half, actually, I think people are beginning to, to pay attention. But... Uh, kind of the worst forms of anti-Semitism are overseas. Well, uh, your work in the State Department obviously was focused uh, abroad. What do you make of the rise of far-right parties uh, across Europe? Many of them are uh, explicitly anti-Semitic. Uh, many others used to be explicitly anti-Semitic until fairly recently. It's almost cliche to ask at this point, uh, but if those political trends continue, uh, will Jews have a future in Europe? Look, when you say the the issue of Jews' future in Europe, I don't know what's going to happen 10 years from now. I don't know what's going to happen 20 years from now. None of us can see that far over the horizon. But certainly uh, in terms of what we can see, uh, Jews do have a future in Europe. In the next three or four years, we're not in the 1930s situation. I also think, Safi, that when we talk about anti-Semitism abroad, and frankly here too, but really abroad, you have to be aware that it's not just one phenomenon. It's multiple phenomena, and it really depends on the country. So, yes, I think uh, for the, you know, up to 2015, uh, when I had to sit down with some folks at the Israeli Foreign Ministry, and they started telling me about what they saw as a problem with large-scale immigration, particularly from Middle Eastern countries, et cetera, to Europe – I expected them to say, oh, well, this is going to cause anti-Semitism coming from uh, Muslim populations that are, have at large levels of attitudinal anti-Semitism. And surprisingly, what they said to me is, no, that's a problem. But the big problem is the reaction we're going to get from the far right. And I, you know, I give the foreign ministry some uh, prescience on that because we have seen this huge upturn. But, you know, we can't also forget anti-Semitism comes from the extreme left and, and, frankly, from sometimes, particularly in Western Europe, Northern Europe, violence from very small proportions of the Muslim community, which still remains in Western Europe the biggest problem. But 
you know, this this right wing violence is very uh, not. You know, we haven't had much violence out of that in Europe, but levels of anti-Semitism and you know, blood and soil type of language. That's a real concern, and uh, you know we've seen we continue to see stories in places like Poland and like Hungary that uh, you know was really making us uh, sit up and take notice. And somewhat shockingly, we've been hearing that kind of rhetoric, though obviously on a much smaller scale here uh, at home as well. We we heard those chants in Charlottesville last summer, Jews will not replace us. We've seen cemeteries vandalized. Uh, we've seen a rash of swastikas popping up on uh, college campuses. Uh, these sentiments aren't new, obviously, but uh, looking here uh, in the United States, does it feel more serious than it has at other times? Uh, well, I, you know, I can't go back 20, 30, 40 years. And in fact, going back even further, 50s, 40s, particularly 30s and 20s. Sure, sure. Anti-Semitism is much worse in those periods in the United States than here. I don't think there's any question. But on a, on a shorter time frame, yeah, it does feel worse. And you know, I think what we clearly have seen is uh, the sense that it's somehow in the last year or so, year and a half, two years, it's kind of okay that it w- to say things that weren't okay before, whether it's uh, in a K through 12 setting, a college setting, or uh, uh, the you know the type of people who were marching for blood and soil in Charlottesville, and that of course had a lot of publicity and was shocking because. So if those things have happened in the past, we haven't seen much. Now, I want to say something else, though. If you're looking at the U.S., or frankly any other country, there's a lot of ways to look at this data. Like when we have an incident like Charlottesville, we all sit up and take notice. I do, certainly. And the FBI data, by the way, you mentioned the hate crime data, you look at you know, you don't look at just one survey. The, uh, the hate crime data still says that, you know, the the aughts, you know, like 2000-0 uh, to 2010, were higher levels. We haven't seen the 17 numbers yet of the FBI. These are really good data sets you want to look at, but any one given data set or even the whole data, they all have their flaws. So, as an example, another data set, Pew Research, 2004, I think 15 and 16, what's the most admired religion in America? Jews. Right. I, I find that I find that so fascinating. How do you square that circle? Well, I think one of the ways you square the circle is Jews both comparing it to the rest of the world, in, Jews in the United States, but also comparing it to historical uh, anti-Semitism in the United States. Jews are highly respected in this country uh, in so many different fields, etc. And that is so different than what you saw even after right after World War II where Jews are seen as a a threat to America, even after the Holocaust, but certainly in the 30s and 20s. So you do see that. The other thing that I think we also have to mention, the United States has something that's really unique, and that is kind of the strength of our civil society and what I call is like the social reaction to prejudice. So despite, you know, some of the stuff, in the schools, we've seen very serious concern, despite the Charlottesville stuff, real serious concern. We still have this reaction that if you say something anti-Semitic in a community, often, not always, not well good enough, but often what happens is you get this huge social reaction. So, for example, what do I mean? In Europe, you say juice to the gas, 
you know, there's no, you can go to prison for that. You are certainly can get fined, et cetera. It's a criminal uh, act. In this country, no, you can say juice the gas and or anything else that's odious of this uh, nature, and you won't get fined. You won't get sent to prison. However, you pay a social cost you don't pay anyplace else because suddenly you're a pariah to much of the community. You look at Whitefish this past year in Whitefish, Montana, where neo-Nazis were were uh, harassing Jewish residents, threatening a march. And essentially the community came out and said, you know what? We can't stop you from saying it. You are going to be pariahs. We don't want you in our community. You're not respected. You're not a serious person. That social cost is huge. But Ira, yeah, do you feel like there is perhaps, maybe not with regard to anti-Semitism specifically yet, but a mainstreaming of certain odious views, certain terms uh, that we would not have used previously that, that results from our politically polarized conversation uh, today. To me, it seems like, like that's happening, and I would worry that there would be a similar mainstreaming of anti-Semitism, uh, potentially, that could lead to an erosion of that kind of um, social sanction that you were, that you were talking about. Uh, well, the short answer is yes. Um, and, and, and the slightly longer one? <laughs> oh, that's always the, you always get the longer one, uh, <laughs> at least with me. Uh, short answer is yes. Uh, now, how much of that is from our political environment? I tend to think a lot of it. And the longer answer is this. Anywhere where minorities are threatened, Jews can't be comfortable, even if the, Jew, the situation of Jews is very good. When a society... Uh, loses its ability to protect minorities, it can't be good for Jews. Now, it may be good for Jews in the short term. Look at this, uh, Russia, where the Jewish community, at least compared to historically, is doing relatively well. Putin, you know, for all we may have problems with Putin, he has largely protected the Jewish community. But, you know, in some ways the folks from the South Caucasus, like the Chechens, etc., in Russia are the new Jews. Uh, and that can't be good long-term for the Jews because if Putin, someone uh, takes over for Putin, there's no institutions to protect you. So that's why Prime Minister Valls in France says, if we lose 50,000, 10% of our Jewish population, France will no longer be France because he understands that if Jews can't be protected, then lots of people are not going to be protected. Pluralism is not going to be protected, as one Jewish leader said to me a few years back. This is not about us. This is about the very values of the French Republic. We may be the first to suffer. We will not be the last. And I think that's what this is about. So, yeah, the short answer comes back to, yes, we have a stake in not just fighting anti-Semitism. And by the way, that social pressure, I think, has worked better with anti-Semitism than it has with racism or Islamophobia, although it does work with those as well. And that's a muscle that societies and civil societies have to exercise and, and strengthen. And frankly, 40 years ago, we didn't have that muscle. We have it. The Europeans don't, but there's no guarantee we, don't, we keep it unless we, as a civil society, and not just government, government can lead, presidents can lead, but civil society, institutions, churches, etc., need to speak out. And they need to make it clear that this is not respected in our community. Best single weapon we have, although there's no silver bullet. 
Of course. And, and, and that's a response to words. And as you pointed out before, words can lead to violence. Words can certainly be alarming. But I think what's really scary for people is seeing this hatred turn into real world uh, physical violence. Uh, Blaise Bernstein, uh, a Jewish college student, was murdered by a neo-Nazi uh, in California in January. The Parkland shooter uh, last month in Florida etched swastikas into his guns uh, and murdered several Jewish students. Um, is this part of a, of a violent trend, uh, either here in America specifically or around the world? Well, I mean, no one can think about what's been happening in the last weeks in, in America and not think about gun violence. But uh, I don't I don't think and I haven't I haven't thought yet that there's a particular anti-Semitic violence that's really popping. I mean, the uh, Blaze Bernstein thing was horrible, but we've had, you know, incidents like that in the past. Uh, Parkland, you know, we all are just just stunned by this. Yet. You know, people were not killed. Jew, Jewish students were not killed because they were Jews. I mean, it was a lottery there, and it was a heavily it, it was a community that had a, a large Jewish population. So, you know, words do turn into violence. You know, National Socialism in the late twenties and early thirties before it came to power, there were certainly street militia that targeted Jews, but they targeted more like leftists and communists and socialists. And uh, at the beginning, it wasn't a violence. But, you know, eight years of that type of language, six, seven years, and you have crystal knock, another three or four, you have the final solution. So, yeah, I think we can't, you just can't lay back and say, well, just words. Words have meaning, and, and they have to be confronted. And, again, that's where I think the social muscle, as well as government leaders taking the lead on saying, not in our country, this is not who we are. Uh, is really important. So, uh, but I don't see right now. Again, I don't know what what we see ten years down the road, but I don't see right now the violence as a threat. And once we start seeing violence, for example, you know, in France, multiple forms of anti-Semitism. There's some reason to believe attitudinal anti-Semitism is as high among National Front supporters, far right supporters, as it is among. Uh, French Muslims, which doesn't say everybody has those attitudes, but does say they're higher than the rest of the population. But far right in France right now, right now, does not commit, has not been committing violence. But we do have Jews dying from a very, very, very small percentage of Muslims in France who are committing violence. And that right now is the threat. Right, right. Absolutely, Ira. You mentioned anti-Semitism uh, in Europe, and of course, you know as well as anyone that uh, my colleagues there on the continent uh, are hard at work fighting that every single day. Help me end this conversation on a good note. Cheer us up. What are some positive signs we should be watching? What are some things we should be supporting uh, in the fight against anti-Semitism around the world? Well, I'm not sure this is a positive note. I'll start with is uh, you mentioned AJC. Uh, a, a lot of our uh, Jewish NGOs, Jewish nonprofits, do tremendous work. Uh, what AJC does in Europe and the type of quality staff you guys have in Europe is unbelievable. Uh, the, the level and quality of people uh, is unsurpassed. In terms of European anti-Semitism, it's amazing who you guys got. Well, I think the positive thing is, again, we lead the world in this ability to push back against hate speech 
by with positive speech and, and making people pay a social cost. Another thing you'd have to say is positive is, you know, whereas 20, 30 years ago, governments in places like Western Europe particularly were not seeming to take this threat of anti-Semitism seriously. They weren't speaking out. You can't find better pushback today in the world than coming out of places like the prime ministers of Britain, the uh, French government, the German government, Chancellor Merkel, and, and in France, both the, the socialist government and the now centrist government, and prior to that, the center-right government. Unlike decades past, we get governments taking serious defense of Jewish communities, and not just because of it's for the Jewish community. It's not just it's a favor for the Jewish community. It's because they understand this is not just a threat to Jews. It's a threat to their, the very essence of their pluralistic democratic societies. That is a good sign. But if necessary, it is not sufficient. Thank you very much, Ira. Take care. Thank you. We're going to close this week with something new, a segment I'm calling Good for the Jews. Each week, I'll share one final thought about a recent development in the world and try to answer that age-old question. Is it good for the Jews? Black Panther. Good for the Jews? Gabe Friedman, a writer at JTA, pointed out this week that the Black Panther, King Chala of the fictional African superpower Wakanda, was created by, who else? A couple of nice Jewish boys from New York City, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. The pair dreamed up many iconic Marvel superheroes. In 1966, it was they who decided to create a high-tech African nation for their comic book. And they decided to give their black hero not just superpowers, but also a degree from Oxford. They shattered stereotypes about Africa and black men in the process. Now the movie Black Panther has shattered box office records and already made over $700 million. Is this Black Panther moment an opportunity for Jews and black people in America to grow closer once again? That would truly be good for the Jews. You can subscribe to AJC's Passport on iTunes or on Stitcher. Follow us on SoundCloud or learn more at AJC.org Passport. Send your comments and questions to Passport at AJC.org. If you like this podcast, be sure to rate it and write a review to help more listeners find us. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Sefi Kogan. This episode is brought to you by AJC, the American Jewish Committee. Our producer is Alex Zeldin. Our sound engineer is Scott Reitherman. Tune in next week for another episode of AJC's Passport.